From the Seattle Globalist and PRX, the public radio exchange, this is Generation Putin, a special report on young people and political change in the former Soviet Union. I'm Brooke Gladstone. Have you ever had a dream about Vladimir Putin? I remember waking up and saying like, oh my gosh, can you imagine I had a dream of Putin? Vladimir Putin. Some people love him, some people hate him. But no matter how Russians might feel about their president, he's a larger-than-life character who's been in power for over a decade. He's part of the national psyche. She did, and she, also, and she was also against Putin in his dream, and she waved her white ribbon around, and there was hope that Putin would go away in her dream. In this hour, we'll talk about power and dissent in Putin's Russia. We'll meet topless feminist protesters in Ukraine and visit a gay bar in repressive Kazakhstan. We'll also meet a Lady Gaga lookalike who works in a time capsule of Soviet propaganda. Before we go there, Let's go to Moscow, where Putin's return to power for a third term was criticized by many who thought his election was rigged. As a result, a protest movement has emerged. Who are these young dissenters? What are their goals? And how effective will they be in challenging the rule of one of the world's most powerful and popular leaders? Throughout this hour, reporters Jessica Partnow. Hi, I'm Jessica. And Sarah Studeville. And I'm Sarah. Will be our guides. Their first stop a political protest, Russian style. The target? Of course, Vladimir Putin. The first thing you need to know about a political protest in Moscow is that it starts the night before with lots and lots of vodka. So the night before the protest, we went to this bar. Everybody was dancing. It definitely felt like something big was about to happen. I talked to this one guy. He said people act like it's the end of the world the night before a protest. They have sex in public. And they drink so much vodka. I don't even like vodka, but there was no getting out of it. You can't clink but not drink. So we drank it by the pitcher. The next morning, the protest was getting started, and we were suffering. Tights. Who wears this outfit to cover a protest? Such an idiot. So there we were, with our interpreter, Vasily Sonkin, and we were all in pretty bad shape. When I woke up, I felt like I was a tiny, tiny bit drunk still. But even through the haze, we could feel the excitement in the air. People were pouring out of the subway into the center of Moscow going through a row of metal detectors to get into the official march route. Meanwhile, I, Sarah, was bundled away to a mysterious rooftop where the opposition was doing their own count of the protesters. And Vasily and I, Jessica, plunged into the march to talk to people. Uh, this is basically this column is St. Petersburg against uh, Putin. This is Una, a 22-year-old protester from St. Petersburg. She says she's afraid of the direction Russia's going, and she's worried that the protest movement is too divided. She has two very different uh, ribbons on her head. One is nationalist, the other one is LGBT, and it's uh, her way of saying that we all should be together on this. The LGBT ribbon is rainbow-colored for gay rights. 
the nationalist ribbon is black and yellow, the colors of Russia under the monarchs. In addition to those, there are groups here from all over the political spectrum. Communists, nationalists, libertarians, feminists. We can hear a protester with a megaphone, Vasily interprets. She says, I welcome you to the March of the Millions. People who represent the leftist views, please gather on the left side of the boulevard. People who represent the right views, please gather on the right side of the boulevard. The thing about it is, ousting Putin is pretty much the only thing they agree on. The organizers are trying to separate the left from the right physically. They don't want anyone fighting. Some of the nationalist groups here are known for violence. So here we're passing another intersection, and these intersections are so intense because there's metal barricades, and then there's just like rows of police, like three per- people deep or so. Meanwhile, my pal Sarah was trying to figure out just how big this protest was. Remember? She'd been whisked away to the undisclosed location of a rooftop. We're going up a lot of stairs. I was climbing up the stairs in this old Moscow building. We talked our way through security, and then we just kept going up and up and up. I would just also like to state that I'm wearing the dumbest outfit to be climbing all over secret journalist roofs in the middle of a protest in Moscow. Short skirt, frickin' tights, and ballet slippers. And that was a decision that I made this morning through the haze of a monster hangover. I'm really regretting it now. We had to crawl through this gross attic covered in bird poop and rusty nails. Finally, we got to the roof. We're up here with a bunch of people that are counting how many protesters are down below. Apparently there's going to be some contested numbers, what the government says and then what the opposition says as well. Uh, Well, uh, I've developed a computer program to automatically count the number of people who came to the rally because the police systematically underestimated. This is Anatoly Katz. His computer program uses pictures to track the speed and density of the crowd. And uh, every second or two I take a picture. And when I get home, I'll process all this data and I'll have a number. Anatoly says the official numbers are usually three times smaller than what the opposition counts. But we got the official numbers after the protest. The opposition counted 15,000 and the police said less, 7 to 10,000. But either way, the numbers were disappointing for the protest movement. In December 2011, there had been close to 100,000 people protesting Putin's election. When I looked down from the rooftop at all the opposing banners and slogans, a dislike of Putin was the one common theme. So far, he's still in the Kremlin. And despite all that noise down there, plenty of Russians like him. She had a dream about three years ago that he was her boyfriend. In her dream, she was thinking, whoa, what a horrible thing, I'm dating the prime minister. But then again, he was a pretty good boyfriend, but then she woke up horrified because she never liked Putin. And while the Russian protests got started as revolutions were raging in the Middle East, they may be more similar to Occupy Wall Street. Widespread but unfocused, less a call for revolution, and more an expression of political and social angst. To try to get a better grip on this, Sarah Studeville talked to two of the protests' leaders about what motivated them to oppose Putin. Oleg Kashin is a 32-year-old political journalist and leader of the opposition. I met with him on a small island in the middle of the Moscow River. 
He says the island is a haven for creatives and intellectuals. Oleg says he doesn't want to grow old with Vladimir Putin in power. In 2010, he was beaten almost to death by two young men. Oleg thinks they were part of a pro-Putin youth group known as the Nashi. He's been writing about them for years. They didn't like the way Oleg wrote about them, and they openly called him their enemy. Oleg spent three months in the hospital, and he ended up losing one of his fingers. Many of the protesters we spoke to were fed up with corruption and kickbacks. Remember, Russia is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. That relationship between politics, power, money, and corruption is on display in a place called Money Town. Okay, well, actually, it's called Rublovka, or Rubletown. Rublovka is on the western edge of Moscow, and it's where the powerful people live. I mean, seriously powerful people, like Duma officials, or international exiles like the family of former Serbian President Slobodan Milosevic. McMansions, these generic fancy homes with Roman statues and Beauty and the Beast iron gates line the streets. On our way to Money Town, we saw three sets of blue flashing lights. So what, right? Well, blue flashing lights don't symbolize police here. These lights are issued specially to government officials, just so they can get around Moscow's infamous traffic. For a lot of the young people we talked to, those lights are a symbol of corruption. We pulled into a luxury mall in Rubalovka. There we are. And there's just a bunch of sort of well-dressed young guys standing around outside of fancy cars. Past all the designer stores and car dealerships, there's a gleamingly modern hotel and spa. We talked this woman into giving us a tour of the hotel. So now I would like to show you presidential room. It's the biggest room in hotel. And this is living room. And this is our famous five meters bed. Holy crap. That's amazing. <laughs> this is like at least three queen-size beds wide. Something like that. Wow. Sometimes guests, they are counting how many people they can put on this bed. <laughs> so all, all wives, all friends, all securities, everybody. <laughs> so how much does one night in uh, the presidential suite cost? So in rubles, it's uh, 300 rubles, 300,000. Yeah, it's uh, around $10,000. $10,000. A place like the presidential suite is reserved for only the most powerful and privileged in Moscow. Many Russians resent places like this. But it's important to say that lots of Muscovites are doing okay economically. Even many people in the protest movement. Russia had oil money in reserve that helped take the sting out of the worldwide economic downturn. Unemployment is low, literacy is high, university is free. So this is important to understand. The anti-Putin protests are not necessarily economically motivated. Despite outward similarities, this is not Occupy Wall Street. Protest organizer Maria Baranova explains. Because we were the 1%, not 99%. Maria says the protesters aren't the richest of the rich, but many have more in common with the 1% than the 99%. So if the protests aren't about money, then... Um, what is the problem? I mean, if you can get a great education I'm, for free... I'm tired of uh, hypocrisy. I, I don't... I want the real politics. Real politics. Maria doesn't want to live in a place where being in government means getting rich, where blue flashing lights just means someone with money is trying to get through. 
After the May 2012 anti-Putin protest, Maria was one of over a dozen organizers who were put on trial for inciting mass riots. The first to be sentenced got four and a half years in jail. Maria is still waiting on her sentence. And that's the feeling in Moscow. Modern, world-class, expensive, connected, but also authoritarian, corrupt, and sometimes scary. I, I had a nightmare last night, some monsters who were sleeping in a bed uh, in a place where I was held hostage. I think it was Putin-related, but, but you know, Putin was not a character in the dream. We'll check in with Vladimir Putin and the Russian protest movement before the show is over. But first, protest, paranoia, and punk rock in the land of Borat. You're listening to Generation Putin from the Seattle Globalist and PRX, the public radio exchange. I'm Brooke Gladstone. 